Hello, it's Monday, March 8th, and today marks a very special occasion on the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you the delicious tech news headlines and all the gossipy hot takes with your hosts, Aaron Bewley, Tyler Gates, and Russ Cantwell. Uh, and today we actually have Gina Rosenthal joining us because that Back special day today Hello. is International Women's Day. Yay. So we thought it would be good to have someone replace Aaron on the show today. <laughs> oh, no. uh, we actually don't know why he's not here. He couldn't join us, uh, but Gina is joining us. And we're going to talk a little bit about today, how monumental women in tech are. But before we do that, we're going to start off with a little bit of this day in tech history, since we are recording a little later in the day. And, uh, and they caught up to us, since they don't tend to post until almost midday every day. So who wants to take a guess at what happened March 8th 1983. What was going on in tech in the early 80s? I hear there was a big, Apple? colorful company. They called them oh, Big Ocean, Big Blue. I think it was Big Blue. IBM, IBM introduces the PCXT, Personal XT, Computer uh, XT, which stands for Extended Technology. I'm a fan of that. Uh, I wish we would have we would have stuck with that for a little while. Uh, interesting if anyone can can guess the price. It featured an Intel 8088. Uh, so that was uh, you know, fairly famous for its time. Price for this, uh, it was high. 24? 2400. Yeah. Uh, it would be higher than that. I'll give you some more specs if it helps. At a 10 megabyte hard drive, big B. Huge. So we well, were, that actually is. We're moving big. up in the world. Eight expansion slots, which is funny because I feel like we don't even list those on computer specs these days. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also not eight. <laughs> True. It is not eight. Uh, so it wins in that one, that category for sure. Uh, in fact, I have a new computer coming on Wednesday, and it has uh, one additional M.2 slot for a drive. And for an Ultrabook, that that's all. actually a win. Yeah, uh, that's true. Serial port, 128 kilobytes of RAM, 40 oh, wow. kilobit ROM, little b. Oh. Uh, a keyboard and one double-sized comes with the keyboard. kilobyte floppy drive. Oh, it came with keyboard and That's a floppy. All of this for the low, low price of four thousand nine hundred ninety-nine ninety-five. Oh my gosh! I had yeah. so much information, I was still wrong. <laughs> yeah. So March eighth, nineteen eighty-three. Big day. That's crazy. Big day for uh, for IBM. This thing didn't look overly portable. Um, but I'm sure once you got it set up, it was a dream to use. Uh, a dream, yeah, yeah, almost certainly in in the early uh, '83 months. You guys, later. you guys even around in 1983? I was, part of it. was. I was a junior in high <laughs> just, school. Just just part of it. Though. <laughs> uh, my personal opinion is that I missed out on the greatest year um, by one year, which was 1986, because the movie Top Gun released in 1986. Oh God, <laughs> that is what makes that year the greatest year. Of all of the years, so uh, Aaron's not I, on the I show, so just barely. You don't. You get no agreement here. <laughs> I like the show. It just doesn't. I'm just it's assuming not Billy hasn't even sorry. seen it. Like every movie I throw his way, he has. That's seen. true. Aaron, have you seen Top Gun? How could he not if, have seen if, Top Gun? If the answer is no, uh, we're actually gonna have a, a much much more serious problem. The answer is definitely not no. Top yeah. Gun was thematic at at Aaron and Joanna's wedding. So uh, that's what I'm that, talking that about. That one definitely <laughs> made his was? list. It was. It was. Greatest movie. Uh, I forget which time. it may have been. I don't Shawshank? know. There was a high five no. involved. Top yeah. Gun. No, this it was good <laughs> stuff. Their wedding was great. Really, really um, 
No, yeah, uh, I was born in '83, actually. So I was there for the last last few months, but I have no recollection of PC or any other technology from the time. For I think I it's really interesting because even my kids who can remember having, um, they're a little younger than y'all, can remember having huge, <laughs> huge desktops, you know, and yeah. that was. Um, an amazing sitting at one right now. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, <laughs> you, you know, you know, but you know, and like those old clunky monitors, and they can oh, yeah, remember oh, yeah. the dialogue. The old sound. CRTs, yeah, yeah. The modems, all, all those. You could hear every one of the bods. And the thing that's <laughs> like, you know, that that is how far we've come. In it, it's crazy when you think how far we've come it's with so fast. personal devices since yeah. that time frame. Because I can't even imagine what would be on the internet about me from 1983 especially the early 90s that was the bad time that i'm really super glad there was no internet yeah. no personal devices so i feel like there is a uh, a story that needs to be told off air here <laughs> there's several and they will not be told <laughs> that's awesome no that reminds me of like the the article i feel like we talked about it but that this whole like my generation i know aaron falls in there I, russ i i believe you're also in this bucket for sure it sounds gina like your kids kind of cross it but it's referred to as sort of zennials where we got to experience both the very beginning of the technology revolution for personal consumption and then part of our high school experience as an example would not have necessarily had any real means of constant communication like I've had stories about pagers. Like that was, that was actually a thing <laughs> at the tail end of my high school experience. But then by the time I was in early college and even late high school, people that I was going to school with suddenly had things like cell phones. And it wasn't yeah. just the parents that happened to have a car phone or a briefcase phone because yeah. of their, their very special job. And the, the, I guess the fanciness of having a mobile phone just sort of immediately evaporated and all of a sudden there were AT&T, AT&T stores on every corner and everyone is getting a progressively smaller candy bar phone in the matter of years. And uh, I'm with you. I'm really glad that there weren't devices recording every move that I made in high school and college. But at the same time, uh, like I have lost swaths of pictures from my international mm-hmm. travels, which happened in that period. And today, like I don't even know if it's possible for me to get rid of pictures that I have taken yeah. at this point. They are backed up to so many different places, some of which I probably didn't even allow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do think of the, you know, the, the NSA as my backup provider. So if, if I'm ever in <laughs> yeah. desperate need of my data, I'm They're certain totally they have it. Yeah. <laughs> totally well, yes, extraction it. is very difficult, but I know it's there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know how people parent. I mean, like, because I my can goodness. very distinctly remember a couple of times, especially with my son, who is my mini me, super social and um, very mischievous still. Um, I don't know how you parent because I think there's stuff that you're not supposed to see. And I can remember, yeah. I don't remember exactly what it was, but, you know, here I am, one of the only parents that understands the internet and, you know, assistant men at the time and all this. And of course I kept tabs on them, you know, so like, you're not supposed to know all the stuff I think that you know now that how do you how do you raise a curious kid that goes off and gets in trouble if you know he's getting in trouble like how do you I I, I feel for everybody that's got kids right now yeah I don't don't know how to balance that either that's always been a big question because I obviously as a parent all you're trying to do is keep your kids safe but then you also want them to be happy healthy curious you know learning new things learning how to learn new things right And so balancing like the helicopter version of parenting and, and the, 
I know, but I have to pretend like I don't like, I, I don't know where the, the lines are so fuzzy. Like I just I assume know. not know, <laughs> but then if something were to happen and I knew that I could have prevented it, like I, ah, ugh, too many, too many issues here. Yeah. It's rough. <laughs> just got to live the life. Just got to right. live it. I grew up in a house with very few rules. So uh, oh, you, you can imagine explains a lot. my daughter is, uh, yeah, that's very she, my She's running off and doing this thing. And my wife is like, what are you doing? You're not watching her. She's, she, where's this thing? I'm like, it's fine. Like she's probably over there. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Everybody gets excited about kids, like putting forks in outlets and stuff. But I, I know from experience um, hey. that if, <laughs> if you put it in the outlet, you don't die necessarily. You just get smarter, a lot of times like you just you get a really math. cool arc and something welds to something and something melts and evaporates no. in your face. Quite possibly. I don't remember doing it, but my mom's staying here with me. Right. And so that's one of her favorite stories to tell my kids about me that she heard this scream and she knew exactly what I did. And it wasn't a fork. It was a bobby pin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I so did bad. that and at I was like, school. <laughs> I did a paperclip at school outside. And that one was interesting because it, it threw sparks for a while and they were Ooh. not happy. And then I denied it. I said, I found it. <laughs> out. No, I was just trying to extract that thing that was already <laughs> in there, causing an active fire. <laughs> Two stories of you extracting things from where you should not be extracting them. That's interesting. Yeah, in a very short period of time. <laughs> there are more. Yeah, well, no let's, doubt. Uh, let's move on. I mean, Jeannie, you mentioned, you know, at the time you were one of the few parents who understood the internet. You probably knew what was happening whenever that dial tone was trying to establish a <laughs> connection and, and very likely failing more often than we would have liked. <laughs> Uh, I, I remember at that time I was uh, compiling Slackware uh, and trying to help build a, a database for my dad's business that, that ultimately we, we didn't even do. Um, but that's what I was learning and doing as a kid um, during those times. Slackware was great, by the way, and awful mostly at the same time. That's how I got into this. But we're not here to talk about how how men got in. Gina, how did you get into this, especially at a time? And I don't know if a lot of people know this, but women pioneered computer programming. I mean, very much so. And then largely were pushed out by evil, bad men who were jealous and it started changing stereotypes as to what people would be. And it really became difficult for women to operate in technology for a long time, but you like persevered and, and drove it. So what, what drove you, what got you involved and, and what keeps you going day in and day out in technology? Well, I've told this story a ton of times. So I'll try to tell the short, short version, but, um, I did everything kind of backwards. I got married when I was 19, had my first child when I was 20, had another baby and then got married, get divorced, <laughs> like completely backwards. And then I went to college. My brother convinced me, hey, if you go to college, you can go down to two jobs. They'll, they'll pay you to go to college. I'm like, so full of crap. But I finally did. <laughs> and I went to um, a community college um, and they had a displaced homemakers program. And they did. They paid for one class. And they had a library for your class books that you could check out of. And the biggest thing is, is they helped you understand how to go to college because nobody in my family had gone to college yet. So um, they were like, oh, you should do this a business administration. I'm like, no, I want to do electronic mm -hmm. engineering technology. Not doing that. <laughs> the dumbest reason I wanted to do that was <laughs> I wanted to understand how TVs worked. I'm like, how does that work? I understand <laughs> radio waves, but I don't get TVs. Um, and they're like, no, but there's no women in it. I'm like, that's okay. That's what I want to do. That's the thing I want to do. So I would kind of that's persevered awesome. at it. And um, I think around like, that was like 97, 98. And my real goal was to um, get a job, one job that paid all the bills that I didn't work at night and I didn't work on weekends before the kids were in middle school and high school. That was with insurance. That was my goal. 
grand, so, grand efforts there. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's an it, awesome right? list, actually. <laughs> that's all I wanted. <laughs> Keep and it simple. I think that's what a lot of people want. I think there's a lot of um, kind of like social class, lots and lots of that conversations going on right now. Sure. That's what people want. People want to have a good life for their kids, period. They want to, to yeah, be able to support so. themselves and do meaningful work and, and have a safety zone for their families. That's it. That's what I wanted. So I get in there and I'm totally the only woman. It's full of, I'm from um, a small town on the Florida Panhandle. It's funny. You talk about Top Gun because I'm not from Pensacola. I'm from Walton Beach where all the Air Force Special Ops bases are. Special Ops Command is at Herbert. So you get it. I get it. <laughs> it's also Navy and I'm saying Thunderbird, you know, it's like whatever. <laughs> That's the whole thing. But um so it's all, you know, I, there's maybe two women and one of the other women was also separating from the military. It's mostly guys separating from the military. And we get, we start going through things and I'm like, okay, this is great. I understand how it works, but the software piece looks way better. I should be in software. I want to do that. And I ended up um, um, transferring to Florida State and doing um, informa- basically information technology. Um, and I had an internship at college. I worked in the stadium, which was pretty cool. And at the career center, and my one of my jobs was I connected um, the, the the counselors there kept the job fair information in an access database, and they wrote a front page web page. And my job was to take the front page um, code and push that page up to an AIX server, strip out all of the bullshit. Oh, sorry, <laughs> strip out all of That's the. Okay. Um, <laughs> strip out all of the crazy extra code and the HTML that um, that front page threw in. And so I had to know VI and I had to, you know, be able to FTP, like just stuff like that. And oh, that's cool. why I got hired at EMC because I knew VI, literally. That's awesome. <laughs> awesome. The, I, I'd be curious. So, you know, you mentioned there was one other woman in the class with you. And it, it, I don't know if people were necessarily discouraging you initially, but they definitely weren't encouraging you to no, go in that route. Uh, you know, do, how, how did you handle that? And what, what got you to, I mean, I know it's, it seems like this is just what you wanted to do, but what were your, what struggles did you have and how did you kind of combat them as you went through that program? Cause you make it sound easy. I bet it wasn't easy. No, it was really hard because at the same time I was working, it's hard to be poor. <laughs> I was working third shift at Waffle House because my brother's wow. best friend was living with me um, in my, the, okay, I'm going to curse again, but like we called it the shitty ass trailer. And every time I go home, <laughs> I would look at the shitty ass trailer. It was horrible. And our agreement was he wouldn't bring girls over, but he would, he would be there with the kids when I went to third shift at Waffle House, which you make a ton of money. And I got insurance. Waffle House nice. is a great place to work, but you make a ton of money. Um, so we did that and I did that for two years. So I would get off my shift at six. I would come home. Um, I would get the kids ready. And this wasn't every day. I think I worked like four days a week and I worked on the weekend too. So it wasn't every day. I would take the kids to um, school. I would come back, get a disco nap, go to school. And I would, I don't know if I have my notebook still, but I, I would write while I was asleep. And the professor was going to tell me after I graduated, he wanted to fail me, but I kept acing all the tests. So he knew I was, and I would go home and I would reread everything and I would <laughs> sure. do everything. I mean, that's why Gosh. I got a computer. I got a computer because we had these labs that we had to complete, you know, building circuits and then testing mm-hmm. them out and all that kind of stuff. Right. But the, the, the school was 30 minutes drive from where I lived. Um, and I couldn't take, you didn't have anymore. time. 
Yeah. I could take them with me. So, uh, and they sucked because of these old breadboards and really you would get them, you know, you would build it the way you were supposed to. And then you have to smack it and do things to make it connect because they were so old. <laughs> so a uh, software package came out that lets you build circuits. And I was like, I'm taking all my Pell Grant money and I'm buying a computer because then I could do all my homework at home. At the same time, the internet got so big and what blew me away because you also, you know, in college, you also have to take the liberal arts programs and all that, right? Yep. I'm taking these classes and I can email someone about it. I can email the person that wrote the paper and it so cool. blew me away that I could do that. And it, so between that and the fact that my daughter also has a language delay and, and other things, learning what that was and how to deal with the school systems as someone without insurance. And I looked like I was about 14 then, you know, so I definitely fit the entire white stereo, you know, stereotype of poor white trash with these kids, welfare mom, blah, blah, blah. I fit that total stereotype and was very hard to get her help. So um, oh, wow. lots of help from the internet. So that's the kid. I will have to say for me, it was definitely my kids finding a way for them out of poverty. So you, I mean, your kids oh, that's awesome. drove the motivation for you. Oh, yeah. So no matter what someone was going to sling at you, some male telling you that this was a male's industry or whatever it might be, or someone telling you no women work in this industry, that didn't bother you. It's what you wanted to do, and you needed your kids to well, get into a better I have five brothers, situation. too, that give me crap all the time my whole life. So like, <laughs> I get it. I, that didn't faze me. And I, I got three sisters, just, so I understand. It goes both right? ways. Like, I know. Yeah, I know it does. <laughs> I think that's the thing. People don't say you don't belong, but... Um, I'll give you an example from EMC. Um, I was a trainer. I think I've told this story a lot too, but it's true. I was a trainer. No, you know what? You know, I'll give you this one. I'll give you one from my professor from my ET program. Um, you had to do soldering to graduate. I hate soldering. I hate doing anything like that with my hands. I hate playing video games because I'm not super coordinated. I hate hey, it. Hey, now. That's me. That's me. me and my personal yeah. thing. But when you live with five brothers and you die really quick and they never let you play, you learn to hate uh, it. <laughs> I would rather write and, you know, and, and do things like that than do things with my hands. Cause it's just frustrating to me. Um, but we had to take it and I did it and it took me a while to pass that class, but I did. <laughs> but when we're in that class, the professor starts talking about how in Asia, they hire all the women because they have these small, delicate hands. And I went, <laughs> you know, like, where's my hand? And I'm like, are you kidding? Are you talking like, so about we're going to keep women in these positions of, that are not the design positions, which is what mm -hmm. we're all training to do, designing circuits. We're going to keep women there because their hands are so delicate. How dumb is that? And yes, I did argue with him because I argued. I, with I heard professors. similar things quite often when I worked at Lockheed Martin. Um, there, yeah. there was a lot of that. It, it sounds strikingly similar um, when it came to uh, like tube bending in particular became sort of a women's trade at Lockheed for sure. I think probably also elsewhere in the industry, but um, the, uh, the, I guess the dainty hands and the artistic slant also, it, yeah. it, it, they would get pigeonholed into these roles like uh, sealant application inside of uh, tanks, for instance, because you did actually need smaller people that could get yeah. in there, but they didn't have to be female. It's just they tended to gravitate that way. And then all of a sudden it had this label and and it was like you said, it was a categorization and they'd be more likely to be, you know, kind of pushed down that route as opposed to the design side or, or even just the, the engineering addressment. And I think that's so. kind of the thing we don't think about. And I was just talking about this on an earlier call, actually, um, it's, it's, we're all socialized the same way. 
men and women, boys and girls, we're all socialized in our culture. This is our culture. This is Western culture. And for some reason, we've gotten away from the fact that women can do anything, Mm. right? There's, there's definitely these, um, and and that's, that's where the problems sit in. Like, I'm not a dainty little girl. I'm not also one of these women that's going to be quiet and sit in the back because it's just not who I am as a person. It's not who my personality is. Um, But because of that, I get labeled different ways. Um, it's never like one of the thought leaders, like guys can, guys can go out and say whatever they want and stand up in a room and repeat the things I said that upset everybody. And they're the brilliant ones that brought it to fire. Sure. And it's not the guy's fault. And in general, I think it's just like, I, I hate playing off the guys and the girls and having this versus this, because I think the thing is we're all in it together from a cultural standpoint and we have to figure out how do we break it? How do we break the thought processes? And I've had, because I was cultured, you know, grew up in this culture, I've had to break some of those thought processes myself, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I know, you know, early on, it's very frustrating to see, it was frustrating to me to see women in marketing that would get more attention and get to write the words and get to say things when they really didn't understand the technologies and they weren't saying the right things and all the rest of it, which is part of the reason I went to product marketing because I thought I could bring some reality, technical reality to marketing. But as things evolved and you start talking to people, they have a hard time in this world too. One of my favorite things that I ever did at Dell and VMware was I would be at, you know, as a global product marketer. So I'd be in launch meetings when we're just starting to talk about how we would market the product, which was my role. And I would get all excited because, oh, this is going to be cool. We can do this, this. And I see the marketers just like <laughs> meetings ever. And I'm like scribbling. I'm just going on video. Scribbling like every <laughs> word that's written down, right? She is and, scribbling um, on her hand for those yeah. who can't see it. And so everybody would leave, but the marketers and I would say, like, did you understand anything we were talking about? And they'd be like, eh, and I'm like, no, really. Did you know what we were talking about? No. Okay. Do you understand what a VM is? Do you, and literally yeah. I would basic whiteboard basic. to these folks. Here's what we're talking about. Because yeah. I'm not also a fluffy marketer. I'm not good at being like, yay, emoji. This is great, <laughs> you know, but some people are very good at marketing that way. And it's actually very effective. So if I can help you understand the words we're saying to the point that you can ask a question and you don't have to be technical, yeah, that's, that's kind of like what we're looking for. So I love doing that and enabling the people I worked with versus having this, um, this conflict between the teams of I'm more technical and I get treated like crap. You're not technical. You say the wrong things. You're a marketer. You're awful. Like, it shouldn't we be like to way. we like to put labels on people. Yeah, we really. and we we've like, seen a shift holistically in a lot of different ways. I mean, even concepts like DevOps, ironically, are like bringing people together. And I know you have a a pretty hard stop, Gina. Yeah, and so, if there's one thing <laughs> that you could you could say to just kind of give advice to other women, or maybe not just women, like to mm-hmm. people to encourage yeah. women how do we- to get involved. How do we? strengthen this what what would you say to to getting getting more people involved and building them up in this way especially because we all have daughters on this we show do. we all have yeah, young indeed. daughters julie has you work a lot with of women daughters. too though right you work <laughs> oh, with absolutely women, right? but but so, we want to make it better for our kids right we're kind of yeah. hearkening back to the beginning yeah. of this conversation is like yeah. how do we make sure that the socialization side is being you know what what can we do to help fix it so that the next generation has an easier path I think listen to the people you work with now and the people who are around you now. And I think you can feel that, right? Like, uh, and not just women, men too. Don't let men get away with, you know, 
continuing on with stereotypes, you know, find a way to break it. Let's stop talking like that. Let's stop pulling in that direction. But I think also just paying attention when someone stops talking and someone starts to pull back and someone's frustrated, you know, whether it's a man or a woman, ask them Mm -hmm. why, what is going on? Because number one, they might just be tired. They might be worn out from the pandemic, whatever. But somebody may have said something to them that was too much. I mean, that's happened to me. There's something right now, somebody right now that I'm having a hard time working with because I'm just like, Mm. that was wrong for you to say <laughs> and oh. I can't figure out how to approach it. So yeah, in, a, in a positive way. So like, if you notice that happening with somebody, you notice that dynamic turn, it just takes a question to open it up and it doesn't have to be this witch hunt. It, it should be this. Okay. That was wrong. How do we move on to the next place? But if you make the environment better that you're in right now, that's what will solve the problems for our kids. That's what makes it better. It's not going to be any better because your kids are learning all the same things we learned in school right now, everything the same. They're learning that all their peers are learning that and the companies aren't changing that they're going into. So if you want to make it better, you got to change where you are. Like it, like it, like it a lot. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes. We wish you. you could stay on longer. We'll have yeah, you back, you but thanks okay, a ton. That's good. Bye. This Bye. Great. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. Talk to you later. Yeah, that's uh, that's a really good perspective too. It, it's interesting as well because I think um, I, I'm emboldened because I have actually seen things. Uh, in particular, there was a STEM event that I participated in. It is a couple of years back now. Um, it was when I was still at EMC. So gosh, it's probably five years ago. Um, and the STEM event was at a middle school in one of the suburbs north of of the office. And um, we we were in I can't remember third fourth fifth sixth I, I forget what grade it was uh, but young kids and we were in there and we were talking about what we do and what the industry does and and like big data was one of the big buzzwords at the time so we were talking about like what does that mean and we actually had a uh, the event was structured around that and it was kind of like making uh, traffic decisions based on data available to you to try to help the kids um, wrap their head around how decision-making was happening using points of data. And we talked about big numbers. We did lots of fun stuff. Well, somewhere in the course of that hour, hour and a half, whatever it was that we were there, um, someone asked a question about, like, I guess, how the kids interact and what they hear. Because I remember when I was in elementary school, there was still sort of the general stereotype that women, for instance, or girls weren't as good at math or weren't weren't supposed to pursue that. Yeah. So I remember that very much from from my age, but it was funny because that question was floated sensitively, but it was kind of floated and they were all like, what are you on about? Like literally none of these kids in fourth or fifth grade had any freaking idea that anyone ever thought girls couldn't do math. Like people were looking around, it's like, you can't what? And it's like, wow. Okay. So apparently like it's almost taboo to even have this conversation now. So I was emboldened because obviously things are changing, but I wonder how much of that is a, a microcosm problem too. Like, is that because it's close to where I'm from and where I am, or, or is it different where, you know, Jean is at now? Is she still seeing yeah. the exact same things? Um, but I, I'm hopeful that that means on average things are, are changing in that regard. It's funny you bring that up because I, I I think about that with a lot of things when it comes to women in technology, racism, which has been a huge topic. You know, we had we've had episodes over that. And when I think about Kate, and and I say this to my wife all the time, uh, it's we. I mean, this is not a new saying. I did not invent this, but it's you know, it's only a big deal if you make it a big deal. 
And those kids, it was never once made a big deal that women, quote unquote, aren't good at math. They didn't come up with that thought on their own. Mm-hmm. They're not going no, not at all. Goodness, thought on their own unless someone leads them to that. So just right. And I'm, and I'm not saying that to expose kids. Trust me, because I'm v- very much so a fan of like getting people exposed to different things in general. But like those types of ideas that we know we don't need to let permeate. Let's just not put it out there in the world and let them figure it out for themselves that everyone's good at a lot of different things. In fact, it's funny because in, in my friends, you know, we joke about things. They, they message me whenever I told them, you know, I'm having a son and they're like, Oh man, <clears throat> he's going to be a professional counter-strike player, you know, by such and such age. Yeah. And I was like, well, I mean, why didn't you say up. that about my daughter? Yeah. He's got to catch up to Kate first. I yeah. mean, Kate, Kate watched her first professional match of counter-strike when she was like <laughs> six awesome. days old. So yeah. she is very, very much so familiar with where things go. She wears a little headset like I'm wearing all the time right now and says rush B. So like Come she's at gonna me, be bro. Way ahead me, of him. Me at 1v1 mid. <laughs> 1v1 me mid. I'm, I'm trying to get her to, to get say her that saying so bad that right now. We're gonna get it recorded. But yeah, it's, you, got, uh, you gotta get her to say that anytime somebody says like anything that is adversarial towards her. Like if you scold her school now, if you scold her for doing something wrong or her response just needs to be one V one me mid bro. I definitely want her to say to some kid who comes up and is like, hi Kate. I want her to be like one V one me mid bro. Like that's, that's what I want her to say. (laughs) It's it's all, it's all good. Really appreciate Gina coming on. I would be remiss if I didn't mention um, this is a big topic at SHI um, for multitude of different reasons. It's, it's important, but also, you know, we are the largest female minority owned private entity in North America. So uh, Ty Lee is our owner. And so she She's Korean born. And so she, she owns SHI. And so having the women owned or woman owned organization is big for us. Uh, it's actually big for, for other entities that, that purchase from minority sort of ownership models. So that's important to them too. But we have something called wish, which is uh, somehow women in technology. Um, I don't know how that acronym really works out, uh, but it's basically like women in SHI that, you know, are involved in technology. That's the idea. And we get tons of people, both internal to SHI. We have a, a very large amount of just females in general that work in the company. What, and it's in sales, it's in tech, it's in marketing, it's in leadership. We, we have them all over the place uh, and it makes us better. And so that that's big. We get customers involved. We have events all around the country, you know, whenever we can go places, around the country. Uh, so it's all fun um, to, to see that. And it's, it's a lot yeah, of good really work. Cool. We get a lot of good turnout for those events. So very, very big in, in our space to kind of get women involved. And we see nothing but benefits from it. I mean, we've seen, I've seen women's go from working in sales to the technical side to working yeah. in, in the leadership side. We have, there are women, two women on our extended leadership, uh, senior leadership team for my, my team specifically, which is the advanced solutions group. So uh, it's phenomenal to see that. And, uh, you know, if Kate wants to be in technology, then that's phenomenal. I will, of course, encourage her and maybe even push her in some respects towards that because I, I, you know, want to have those shared, shared interests with my daughter, but uh, it's, it's just great to see because I think things are getting better, but it's amazing. If you were to go out there and just sort of Google around and look, you can see some, some history around the pioneers of women oh, in technology, absolutely. both in space programs and computer programming and all of this stuff, especially as this was big in the UK where 
they were literally pushed out. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. it's like, we're, we're really having to try and pull them back in and, and get them involved. And so uh, it's crazy. I love seeing it come back around and really appreciate Gina for joining us and talking a yeah. little bit about it. No, that was awesome. And and those are all good points. This is uh, something I'm super impressed about the uh, the industry that we're in, right? This, this IT industry is that there does seem to be a better, healthier focus than my experience at Lockheed and Aerospace on the diversity in general, but also women in tech in particular. And whether that's just that, you know, it snowballed because it was an initiative, but the success, you can see it. Um and I, I know there's a lot further to go, but I see regular communication from all of the leadership at VMware, for instance, around the importance of women in technology and, you know, celebrating that not just the technological, um, uh, I guess, achievements that women, women have had in the industry, but also the social, economic, um, cultural and political as well. It's it, it's cool because nothing is taboo in that regard and highlighting all of those successes and the histories that come into it, they just keep the conversation going and they give yep. everyone a better opportunity to do as Gina said and, and just be better in your own space, um, which I think is awesome. Yeah, and I had no idea the struggles that Gina had gone through to get to yeah, where that's she incredible. is. That was, that was incredible to hear. My, uh, my parents actually, um, especially my dad did, similar things, although he, he went for an accounting degree, which he did because his family wanted him to, and he hated it and he doesn't do it anymore. So it's, it's slightly different, uh, <laughs> but, but he also worked a whole bunch of jobs. So I always have a lot of respect for people who sort of work themselves out and yeah. especially while caring for two kids. And so it's awesome. But uh, anyways, well, we like to get on to some tech news related. Things I today. suppose we should. There's at least a few things out there that, that need to be talked about. I've seen a lot of interesting stuff. You got anything you specifically want to start with? or uh, I kind of do because it mentions, it goes into something Gina was talking about. She mentioned how she likes, you know, she she didn't like using her hands to like play video games. And so she was clearly trying to directly offend me and it worked. And then like, <laughs> uh, there, there were other things that she had mentioned she didn't like uh, dealing with, but she mentioned how she handwrit her notes. Did you notice how she said it? She did it while she was asleep. She, yes. While she was asleep, yeah, I, I, that's a skill I feel like we should have talked a lot more yeah, about. I feel like we needed more time, but we just sort of glossed over the fact that she took notes while sleeping and then aced every test. So <laughs> yeah, that's another, yeah, yeah. the whole other thing. She, she's um, she's ahead of her time there because I'm pretty sure that's how the kids are going to learn on their way to Mars, right? They're just going to yeah. be in a stasis yeah, gonna be and, in and they're going to have information fed through the neural links. So. 100%. Yeah, Billy, I think, will be she was there. She's primed. He'll be there as well. Um, <laughs> That's what we hear. Well, OpenAI's, and this is just a wonderful headline, state-of-the-art machine vision AI Love it. is fooled by handwritten notes. <laughs> it's just yeah. like the most rudimentary thing possible. I love that that's the topic you started with, because if you said no and you handed it over to me, I was going to bring up the exact same article. And it Perfect. is hilarious. <laughs> the example they give right on the surface is that the AI, which is very good at what it does or what it was taught to do, it was differentiating based on images of this case of an apple. And it's identifying not just that it's an apple, but the species of apple. So it's a Granny Smith. Um, and, and they show the percent accuracy. And then somebody literally like scotch tapes a handwritten note that says iPad or iPod. And, and like 80 plus percent of the AI at that point identifies it as an iPod because of a handwritten note. <laughs> Yeah, it's incredible. In fact, it shows <laughs> it shows the um, I don't know the the first object, and I guess it got a 
rating of 85.6. I don't know how this chart's reading, but like once they moved and added the the iPod handwritten note to it, it yeah. identified it 99.7% correctly. <laughs> and it was just just awesome. And now don't get me wrong, it read iPod really well. So yeah, them. like it nailed that one. But it's yeah. so funny how such a simple trick immediately changed it. And honestly, it's yeah. weird because it gave me this my immediate thought went to that story that we've talked about a lot about people in, I think it was Japan or somewhere uh, over there that they have like the fake faces, like the masks oh, yeah. of other people, where it's like, here's the easiest way to possibly fool AI is just wear someone else's face. I mean, or run a note. Apparently, over face you just need a note. On it and yeah. Or an iPod. While you're robbing the bank. I'm not, not going to lie. I glossed over this the first time I looked at this article. Uh, you should all check it out. I saw it on The Verge. Um, it sounds like it's too. the exact same title, so I'm guessing that's the one that you got. Um, iPod was a response the AI gave to the Apple that didn't have a note on it. I don't know if you noticed that. I did oh. not at first pass, but 0.4% of the responses from the AI was iPod when it was just oh. an Apple. Yeah, why? <laughs> I do see that now. Why did know. 0.4% identify that as an iPod? <laughs> I feel <laughs> like that's the a bigger Apple story. Symbol? Yeah, I guess, but it's not it's not a it's not an iPad, it's not oh a, a MacBook. Like why 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 did any of the responses include iPod for it, this, the Apple sitting on a bench? This sort of gets better. <laughs> I mean, it actually can So, there's another image of a chainsaw which just sitting there, they take a picture of it. It identifies 91.1% as a chainsaw. <laughs> and then they insert an overlay <laughs> of of dollar sign symbols all over the That's picture. And just dollar signs, nothing else changed. It. And that identifies as 1.5% chainsaw and 70.1% as a piggy bank. Piggy bank. <laughs> so this is, oh, this this is hilarious. Is awesome. I did not scroll that far down either, but can we give credit to the chainsaw identifying AI because they didn't think it was a piggy bank before there was money symbols on it. Oh my gosh. That's <laughs> just incredible. Uh, the, the top comment here says this trips up humans too. Same trick as <laughs> the color of the word white, but the text is actually black. That's true. That you're, you're seeing our human bias inside of this AI. Oh, that's awesome. how this also would fool us. Although I, I seriously doubt at any point in time, I would look at that Apple and identify it as an iPod. It's an iPod. No, also a hammer and a mousetrap for the chainsaw because those were common uh, <laughs> common responses, relatively mouse speaking. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's uh, that's incredible. Yeah. Also, I feel like credit should be given to the AI responses that said slot machine on the chainsaw because technically uh -huh. you can cut slots with a chainsaw and with the money like that, that feels more right than piggy bank. I agree. Yeah, and no, I'm I'm feeling pretty good about that. Um, tractor, <laughs> I think, is actually somewhat appropriate to, to some degree. <laughs> vacuum cleaner. I'm concerned about, especially right. if AI ever starts controlling vacuum cleaners. Ooh, yeah, that's not actually good. AI does control vacuum cleaners. I have one <gasps> today. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I've got that little robot that's that cleans my house. It's not okay. Super loud, and uh, now that Lindsay is home because we've been dealing with the the Rona. Uh, we pretty much disable that every morning because it's going during some critical call. So uh, yeah. Anyways, you want to trip up AI? Um, just uh, pretty Write much some stuff add down. anything to the picture that isn't what you're thinking it's trying to identify, and I think uh, you're going to be just fine. Let's let's hope that they can train their AI to ignore text going forward because I feel like not being an AI expert that that should be somewhat trivial. Like I agree. You're like bad. You're bad if you're looking at the words because the words are there to trick you. 
You should teach yep. our kids that maybe. No, probably not. It seems like the opposite of what you teach kids. I'm with you. Don't teach them, <laughs> don't teach the kids that at all. Oh man. I so I've got one article here, bit of a deviation from tech kind of, but we like to do that. Um we do. It's a head scratcher because it's about lab grown wood. I, I would like to point out that as Tyler was stating that, he was Scratch literally his scratching his head. So yeah, he, well, was, he was, he was, it really is a head scratcher because he went yeah. straight to the literal movement. I, I read the article. It's short, it's from BBC, and, uh, and it talks about lab grown wood. Like we grow plants, but we should be growing the whole thing. And as far as I can tell, the only I guess reason that we would want to do this is because you could potentially eliminate the the land cost of growing trees, as an example. Um, but I'm just not following it. I, this yeah. is like lab grown meat. I kind of get. Uh, I, I, there's a, a significant percentage of the population. Never mind some of the uh, ecological benefits, perhaps of of doing it differently, right? Sure. Um, compared to the traditional meat industry. But lab grown trees like i feel like we've got a pretty good method for growing trees yeah one that we didn't actually have to figure out ourselves. um uh, it occurs naturally uh is quite simple actually um and in some respects if you get the the right thing to grow you can grow gigantic bean stalks that go all the way up into the clouds so i i agree uh, that was my initial thought was why are we using lab grown trees don't they don't they already grow in fact they grow so much sometimes it's a problem so um i don't know i agree that's sort of a strange thing is there anywhere in this article a why or is it just well there's some there's so there's the space and, and then i guess one one of the other arguments that is a little compelling right is um mars trees trees grow and they their their structure is defined by the parameter which says get water to leaves right sure. yep. so all all of the wood grain is basically going to naturally organize itself to sort of optimize that process to some extent we don't need the wood that we use for building furniture or houses as an example to be organized that way so you could just like Fair. in 3d printing or in you know atomic manipulation you could reorganize the grain of wood to make it stronger or better in a compression or a tension or a, a shear scenario than it would naturally, which that's actually kind of cool. But uh, I, I guess, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are some good reasons for it, but it's still, it's a very interesting title. I think it's so that we can take <laughs> trees to Mars and I'm sticking to that. Now that, that would be really cool. They, I don't, they didn't touch on that in the article, but I, I do think uh, then again, on your way to Mars, do you really just want to print wood or, or produce wood? No, you probably also want some of the other uh, benefits that plants bring. Well, like, maybe this know, is like oxygen. an alpha version of this, and they'll be able to grow <laughs> oxygen next in apples and, uh, and things like that to fool the AI that we're dealing with in space. Um, speaking of, of space uh, and going to Mars, uh, Alan McDonald, which I, in, in my mind, I, I feel like a lot of people probably don't know who Alan McDonald is, and I'll explain that's why true. in a minute. Uh, I mean, he's, you know, not, he was not a huge figure in my life, but I am aware no. of who he is, and, and he, he really was uh, a big deal. And so during the Challenger launch, which, you know, for those of you who aren't aware, there was a very failed launch um, called Challenger, That's and uh, very it was failed. actually That's very famous wrong. For, for having taken, or there was a teacher uh, that was being taken aboard the Challenger, and so it was a very big deal back in the day. 
And some of the variables had changed overnight before the morning of the launch. Like which, temperature uh, variables. Like ten- temperature variables, which <laughs> turned out to be important. Kind and, of a big uh, deal. Alan it was one of the members of the team that is responsible for certifying the, the safety of the launch and saying that he would certify that we are good to go for the launch. Alan did not certify the safety of the Challenger launch. Yeah. And was uh, he the only one that, that ultimately didn't? He was, I, I remember seeing stuff that I, they were all pressured to do so, right? They, they, they were. They were pressured top down. Yes. Yep. It, and uh, the, he did two things, actually. Not only did he not sign the certification, uh, and, and he, and he writ, wrote his concerns down and sent it to the powers to be as to why this was a problem. Um, but apparently, the, in the, and I'd actually never heard this, um, there was some form of in-person meeting or whatever it might be where it was described as he was sitting in the far back um, in the cheap seats, as they say, as they were prepping all of the final things for launch. And he stood up in this room and voiced his concern to the room, um, went to the front of the room and explained how this was a problem. And uh, it basically, obviously his warnings were not heeded and we we have this problem. So what's interesting to me is, so he's passed away um, at the age of 83. uh, So he he lived a a long, good life. Um, He had to kind of, you know, threaten his career to go against this because there was a lot of pressure. It ended up yeah. okay for him and in his career personally, they eventually did do investigations into NASA potentially trying to cover this up. And, and he was he was brought back into the team and promoted and he led all sorts of talks on ethics and decision making and engineering over many, many years after 42 years at NASA. So he did all sorts of great things. But the, the part that I wanted to bring up was how this was at least when I was in school, and I'm wondering if maybe when you were in school, because I was trying to tell Tyler about this, that I have a story around this. And I, I asked when he had heard about it. And you had mentioned maybe through a documentary of some kind. I'm pretty sure it was the documentary. And I, and I want to say that it was around another shuttle launch. but there, there, And it wasn't that many years ago um, that I, I'm remembering having learned about him. Um, but as I recall, it, it was sort of as maybe it was... SpaceX and some of their announcements early on, but it was it was a conversation that just kind of spurred that all up. And then there was a documentary sure. about the Challenger disaster, and and I remember seeing some of that and learning about him in in particular. So I, um, it, that's interesting because I, whenever I was in school, I remember learning about the Challenger, and. There was a, a guy in my grade, his name's Jared, um, very inquisitive. In fact, he was our valedictorian eventually, like 10 years later or whatever it was at the time. And he he asked the question. He was like, I mean, but what went wrong and why didn't they know beforehand? <laughs> and uh, our science teacher at the time said they actually were warned by wow. this man, Alan McDonald, but this isn't a big part of the conversation, meaning it wasn't something they talked about. Most people focused on the fact that a civilian teacher was aboard the Challenger when it happened and not necessarily on the events that led yeah. up to it. And uh, I just, it blew my mind at the time. Yeah. Uh, and I was so happy Jared had asked that question. Yeah. And I was in the class with him whenever he did it. And so, but I didn't, you know, I didn't think about it 
as like, oh, well, they don't teach this. But when I read yeah. this article this morning, I thought to myself, I was like, man, I wonder if Aaron and Tyler heard this in school. Because I remember no, it would not have not came up had Jared not asked that question. I, and I, I think that's interesting. I do not have a recollection of it being taught in school. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. It's just certainly not where I remember right. it yeah. from. And maybe but it's I know, taught in other like, places, but it wasn't taught here for all. There I was a significant investigation after the fact, as as there always is in in this sort of disaster. We talked about it in the uh, just the airline industry as well, right? They they go through everything when something like this happens in the aerospace and aeronautics industry because again any problem um, that causes loss of life of course requires you know pretty extensive research and understanding and um, I think this one was special because it wasn't just what went wrong it was okay what went wrong to allow the thing that went wrong to have been allowed right yeah um, but but oftentimes when something like this happens we don't know what failed until we do the postmortem and we go through sifting through all of the data and the wreckage and in a lot of cases, and then we can go back and ask questions about whether or not we realized, you know, this should have happened. And I imagine that's actually a lot of how the, the challenger disaster unfolded, but perhaps not because of how vocal Alan was about the risks of this particular failure mode, given the, the ambient temperature. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it is a really fascinating story. Obviously, it's very sad what happened, how it happened, uh, and it's very interesting how the protections that are in place, those certifying the launch, for instance, because of safety concerns, um, and and under what circumstances they were ignored and what risks were taken as a result. Because um, I think there are a lot of modern corollaries. Um, obviously, few as uh, I guess with as many eyes on it as the right. challenger, but um, there's, there's, there are just a lot of things that happen. And I think we take for granted the number of people and the number of processes and the amount of engineering that was probably in place to prevent something like that from happening in the first place. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is so, and I'm reading this cause I, I want to make sure you give credit to everyone. Um, cause I mean, I, I, I haven't researched this, you know, extensively, but I wanted, I I felt like we should describe what happened and what went wrong. And as I was doing this, uh, I'll use this piece from the article. This is out of NPR. It says McDonald and his team of uh, Theocal, which I think is the probably contracting company of engineers that worked on the project with NASA, which is where he worked for a long time, um, had strenuously opposed the launch. So he did have a team of engineers behind him. Yeah. Um, It sounds like he was the person who won signs and certifies and two voiced his opinion, but he definitely had people that were, you know, agreeing with him in this t- on his specific team. So what happened is, is they were arguing that freezing overnight temperatures that were as low as 18 degrees Fahrenheit meant that the O-rings on the booster rocket joints, which was explicitly what they were responsible for was the, the rockets themselves. Yeah, that, and that explains their domain yeah. expertise was right there. Exactly. He said would likely stiffen and failed to contain the explosive fuel burning inside of the rockets. In fact, they presented data that showed O-rings had lost elasticity at much warmer temperatures, explicitly at 53 degrees Fahrenheit during an earlier launch. So they had, this wasn't just theory, they had data that they were presenting explicitly to them on the O-rings piece. And so what I was reading, when I read further into the article, I noticed he he not only gave talks over the years at universities after he had retired to different engineering departments on the ethics of decision-making and information sharing and all these things, but he explicitly 
for the rest of his career talked about O-rings and what causes them to fail. Um, and his family really says that they, he doesn't think that he had had any remaining everlasting guilt, but that he did in the moment for that time, he was unconsolable for a very long time, obviously imagine, yeah. with the team dealing with this and things he'd done. So it's just, it's just an amazing story that I, I feel like isn't shared or talked about yeah. enough. And now that he's, he's passed, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of coming to light more. So I hope it's taught in schools is really yeah. kind of what I'm hoping. Well, you know, it's funny because you just reminded me as you were reading through some of those details. Um, I, I'm still pretty sure the first time I heard about him was through a documentary and, and having found it somewhere else. But we absolutely studied that to some extent in one of my master's classes. And it sure. was probably specifically around either, uh, you know, economic decision making or the risk, uh, you know, side of the equation um, or, or the engineering ethics. Because it's amazing how many, you know, parts of engineering curriculum tie oh, yeah. back to an event like that, right? Yes, I remember um, you know, fully. It's tests and validations, because my master's is in uh, systems engineering, right? So systems engineering, of course, part of that is going to include just the, the engineering V, where you're taking an ID to ideation, and then you're coming back on yep. the validation side. Well, there are a lot of checks and balances in that engineering process designed to prevent things exactly like this. Um, and so I, I wouldn't be surprised if I flip back through my old notes that we actually got into that a bit as well. So I did get it in school, but I don't feel like most people would under those circumstances. Not everyone. Right. Follow yeah. Through. Highly specialized in your particular instance. And I just yeah. feel like this is something, you know, Yeah. I think there's value even in the traditional grade school setting, whether it happens I when you learn about totally the challenger, agree. which oftentimes happens early in grade school, or if you go through it again later on, once you're into high school, I think it'd be big. But I think with that, it's probably time to get this sucker wrapped. I think so, too. I, there's always more stuff to talk about, but today was a fun day. We definitely got off from some non-traditional offshoots. Love the Women in Tech conversation. Love that Gina was able to join us for that. But that brings another Tech Breakfast podcast to a close. Thanks for listening, y'all. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for sharing with your friends. Thanks for your support. And we will talk to you on Wednesday. Later. <laughs>